my taste buds. Today's show brought to us by our good friends at Diet Coke. Diet Coke is shaking things up with a bold new look and four new delicious flavors. The OG Diet Coke, of course, still has the same great taste, and you can drink that. But Diet Coke has also added for your taste exploration the feisty cherry, the twisted mango, zesty blood orange, and ginger lime. They are all in the mix. These flavors are so bold, you're not going to be able to pick one favorite. I encourage you to do what I do, which is sample, explore. Go on a Diet Coke adventure with various delicious food items that are standards in your life. We know that producer Kyle likes the zesty blood orange with the pepperoni pizza. I, my own self, have had the ginger lime with a delicious fried chicken sandwich. My friends, whether you are a longtime fan or just want to try something new, give Diet Coke a taste. You'll see what we're talking about. Diet Coke, because you can. Taste Buds, couple great things on the ringer right now. You can check out the website, theringer.com. This story by Robert Baby Bear Mays. It's NFL season, pals. Listen to the story. The inside story of San Francisco's 137.5 million Jimmy Garoppolo Gamble. I love this story, especially because I think it makes all Patriots fans feel a little weak in the knees and want to do things perhaps in their underpants. Great story by Robert Mays. Also on the Ringer Podcast Network, coming up next week, the debut show, Ryan Rossillo is in the fold. I love Ryan Rossillo, and I will never say anything bad about him. You'll never get me to say anything bad about him, and part of that is because he has gigantic arms. I don't know if you check out Ryan. He's on TV all the time. He doesn't always pump out the pythons. But you'll, I'll never say a bad word. I don't want to have my head stuck between those two biceps. His show, Dual Threat, coming out next week, the debut episode. Check it out. It is going to be a hot, hot hit. Oh, my taste buds, my hungry homies, my culinary comrades. Boom, baby, we are back. Another episode of House. Oh, carbs, the food podcast for the hungry people, by the hungry people, part of the Ringer Podcast Network. I am your hungry host, Joe House. It is Pizza Week at TheRinger.com. Lots of great stories about pizza, the ins and outs, perfect time of year as you get ready for all the great sports you're going to watch this fall. Enjoy some delicious pizza with it. We have an unbelievable guest. This is a total get for us. Anthony Mangieri, the founding father of Una Pizza Napolitana. He he started in New Jersey. He went to New York. He moved to San Francisco. He's back in New York. Everywhere he goes, the people line up for this beautiful Napolitan pizza that he makes. He's on today. We have a long conversation with him. He's a true hungry homie. You're going to love it. Of course, there's food news with Juliet. We explore a little bit of the soda stream. Uh, she's trying to turn me on to it. I might give it a try. But let's get in that belly with Anthony Mangieri. All right, my hungry homies. What a day. 
Today's guest has been described as a religious figure in the world of pizza, a revered master of the Neapolitan pizza, a legend with a reputation of making every pie himself with his own two hands until he runs out of dough. That's been going on for over 22 years now. Anthony Mangieri, welcome to House of Carbs. Thank you. Hey, there we go. So uh, I want to kick off. We, we have you on because you just opened the fourth iteration of your legendary Una, Una Pizza Napolitana. And uh, you should feel free to correct all of my mispronunciations today. Don't hesitate because I'm going to get stuff wrong. I have a little Italian blood in me, and so you'll see me trying too hard to, uh, to rep. But, you know, um, I don't get it right all the time. Um, so you're open up back in New York City. But I want to begin at the beginning. Uh, how it is that you came to find pizza a as your passion. I know it all started at a little bakery in New Jersey. Um, can we start there? Yeah. Um, yeah, it started, uh, I opened a bread bakery um, in probably the early 90s in uh, Red Bank, New Jersey. I'm, I'm born and raised in New Jersey. <clears throat> and... Um, when I opened that bakery, I kind of uh, was already interested in the idea of opening a pizzeria. My family uh, is Italian-American uh, from the Naples area. So I had kind of grown up, you know, with, with that as an influence and coming up to New York City also and, you know, going to Brooklyn and places like that for, for food and bread and pizza was a big a big influence in me at a pretty young age. So, um, yeah, I wanted to. The pizzeria, but at that point, I just couldn't really afford to do it. Um, so it seemed like opening a bakery, which I loved baking also. It just seemed like it would be more feasible because, um, you know, you, you didn't need to have um, tables and a dining room and public restroom and all that stuff. So, so yeah, I just decided to try to do it. You know, I, I, I was kind of at a point where I felt like if I didn't do it, um, I was going to end up just getting like a job, you know, in Atlantic City or something. My dad worked in Atlantic City. And I would just get like a job and that would be it. But I, I felt like I should give it a shot. And you were. And that was the beginning of it. Yeah, you were a pretty young guy. Um, yeah. How did you find like, you know, the, the, the resources to get off the ground? Um, I mean, you know, well, first of all, this, it was super bare bones. I mean, basically it was an oven and that was it. It was a wood burning oven. So. All the dough was mixed by hand. My dad um, and his friends uh, pretty much did all the construction and me. Um, and we built like a, my dad knew how to weld and stuff. He was pretty much like an all around like handyman. Um, so we built like this metal table like that had like these slanted walls, um, which in Italy is called a madia. And it's, you know, the old way that you would hand mix dough. It's like a big, almost looks like something for uh, mixing cement. And so he made that out of stainless steel, and that's what I used to mix all the dough in. And like, other than that, it was like it was like a hand sink, and that's it. And then we built a little wall and made a tiny little storefront area, put some shelves up, and and kind of just opened the place. So it was a real shoestring budget, and I had no employees or anything. So I would go in at um, ten o'clock at night and start mixing and baking dough, and I would do that until two o'clock in the afternoon every day, and. I would open the bakery up 
in order to sell retail probably around like eight o'clock in the morning. And then I would keep baking while I was open. If someone came in, I'd like run out to the front, see what they needed. So Anthony, tell me about how you found your way into the very first Una Pizza Napolitana. Right. So, um, so I had the bakery and, um, you know, like I was saying, I, I, I would wanted to kind of open a pizzeria from the beginning, um, even though I loved baking, but I just couldn't afford it. And then after a couple of years of doing the bread, I mean, it was really tough back then. I mean, it was a really just kind of before its time in that area of America where I was at. Um, people overall, I mean, I had some customers that started to become loyal already, but as an overall, like, I mean, it was I was not making any money to really make a living and people didn't understand like a big, you know, big loaf of bread that had a really thick crust and it was kind of black on the bottom from the oven and kind of wild looking. So it was tough. And after a couple of years of that, like, you know, all my friends would come in at night when I was working and they like were going out and they had girlfriends and stuff. And I was like baking every day and like living at home and didn't have a car because I couldn't even afford one. So I was like, at a certain point, I started thinking maybe I should just like give this up. I gave it a shot. And and it just seemed like it wasn't going to make it. And then, so I, I closed it up and I was, you know, I was going to give it up. And I just had like this feeling, I was like, man, I gotta, I gotta try the pizza. And I, you know, I had a tiny, tiny bit of money that I was kind of saving, but not much. And my mom and dad, my grandmother, we all kind of chipped in and we found this spot for rent that was a little bit closer to where I was born and raised kind of in between where I opened the bakery and where I had been born. Um, and uh, and it was in the winter, and I got like a really good deal on the spot because those areas are really dead in the winter. Yeah. And they they gave me a great deal, and I signed like a I think I signed like an eight year lease or something. And yeah, and I just did it. Um, it was an old ice cream shop, so all the walls were already tiled. So all all my dad and I did was just like build a little counter, stick a little oven in, and hang up some pictures. I bought like you know, junk tables and chairs. And then little by little over the years, as it started to get better, I would keep updating and changing it, trying to make it better and better. Right, and, right. Um, and through that course, too, one thing is that when I had the bakery, there was a food writer uh, who was like probably the most famous food writer in New Jersey at the time for uh, what was then the Asbury Park Press. And so she came into the bread bakery on a rainy day and like, you know, introduced herself. I didn't know who she was or anything. I mean, I wasn't, you know, first of all, the food world wasn't what it was, what it is now. And people yeah. really didn't care that much about food, but either way she came in, she introduced herself. I was like, yeah. And she bought some bread and, and that was it. And then she came back the following uh, week and bought some more and was saying how great it was and all this stuff and that she was going to write a story on it. And I thought, Oh, that's cool. I didn't really know what that would mean. And then, like, a week later, one day when I opened up, there was, like, 50 people waiting online outside the bakery, which, <laughs> you know, to me, at a young age, I was like, holy crap. Yeah. What, you know, I just didn't even know what to do with myself. It had never happened, and I had been so slow. And so when I, you know, fast forward a couple of years, when I opened the pizzeria, she came in, um, and she had found out that I had closed, and I had, you know, opened this pizzeria, and she came in and ate the pizza, and she was super, super into it. Um, and then she wrote an article about that. And then that just got the pizzeria going. And that was sort of the beginning, really, of, of like me sticking with the pizza. That, you know, it just kind of got it going a little bit. And pizza is a little bit, at that time, it was a little bit easier of a sell to like make a living from. And to just to show you how funny it was, like 
it, I had no employees in the pizzeria either. And when that article came out about the pizzeria, it got so busy that I like, I asked my dad to come and help me. And my dad was like a construction guy and like <laughs> he came up and he never worked in food. He always had like a cigarette hanging out of his mouth and like, yeah. And he, he was a tough guy, like a Vietnam veteran. And, mm-hmm. um, and he, uh, he came up to, uh, help me and like, all we did in there was like argue. It was a disaster, but we were so busy. And he was like, I'm going to quit my job and work in the pizzeria. Because like for a little bit of time after that article came out about the pizzeria, we were making more money in the pizzeria than I think anyone in my family had ever, you know, even fathomed possible. Um, That's incredible. So it was kind of funny, but then it didn't stay like that. Obviously anytime, yeah. you know, something was written, you'd get these like, little surges and then it would die off and stuff. But so, yeah, that was kind of the beginning. Her name is Andrea Clarkfeld and she to this day has been like a huge, a huge supporter of me. I mean, many, many things have happened because of her and her support and other people too, that I've been so lucky that have kind of stood behind me. Had you between the time of opening the bakery and getting the pizza, the first iteration of Napolitano off the ground, did you go to Italy? Had you been to Italy before? Yeah, yeah. I had I had been going to Italy a bunch uh, throughout my life, and it was a big part of my family, my especially for my mom and I and my grandmother um, and my sister later on, and and my dad too. Um, so yeah, I had been going, and that was you know originally like what had started the spark of the pizza because besides a few pizzerias in New York City like Totono's and. Um, John's on Ble- the original John's on Bleaker, and yeah. um, much later on uh, Lombardi's, because um, they they actually weren't a, they weren't even a pizzeria at that time; they were just a restaurant. And then they started doing pizza again. They had stopped uh, doing pizza for many years. Um, and Grimaldi's under the Brooklyn Bridge at the time, the original Grimaldi's, Patsy's Place. Um, those places were huge, huge influences, and then combined with when we would go to Italy and. You know, the, the pizza and the bread, but especially the pizza in Naples was so, it was just so different than anything. I mean, I love the stuff in New York and it was a big influence, but the stuff in Naples seemed so um, ethnic and just kind of like such a different, it just tasted of another culture. It did not, it, it tasted very wild. It tasted just very foreign and it really turned me on a lot. Yeah. So, that so was that's really the, kind of like the that, beginning. Yeah. That's the question. You all the places that you just mentioned, you know, the 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 New York institutions, the New York pizza institutions. I don't think any of them made uh, their fame by way of Neapolitan pizza. What what? Uh, I mean, uh, you were you were going to Naples and you were eating it. What made you think that that you could uh, you know try your hand at Neapolitan here in 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 New York and uh, that it would be something that that people would like to eat. Um, well, I, you know, it's funny because I just felt like I was more inclined to making that pizza than even the New York pizza. Um, it just seemed like I could, I felt like I could do it. I just knew I could, and it didn't seem like it was foreign to me. Um, so yeah, I don't know, you know, I mean, and, but it was just in you, it was in your blood. Yeah, it was, it was in my blood. And I mean, it just like, it spoke to me and like, I think also, you know, like back then, you know, pre-internet, pre any of this stuff. Like, you know, when you, when you had experiences, they were really tangible experiences and you had to work pretty hard to get them. Um, so if you did get them and you experienced them and you were open-minded and went at it with an open heart and it really touched you, 
and you really loved it, I feel like that was already half the half the battle to being good at something. And then it was just really kind of being like, all right, I'm going to do this and just stick with it. I mean, I grew up anyway with, with kind of a mentality of like a do-it-yourself, like screw you, I'm not going to stop kind of mentality. So that already being kind of in me and then falling in love with this stuff, just I felt like nothing could stop me. But at yeah, the same yeah. time, some of those places like John's and stuff, I mean, they were, a lot of those guys originally were Neapolitan uh, of descent too. It's just that when those pizzerias opened, it was at the time in America when, uh, you know, everyone was using coal to like heat their homes, to cook in their homes. The coal oven was part of that revolution. Um, so the, the pizzas that they tried to make were based, I think, on what they or their parents had grown up eating in Italy, but with this, uh, you know, industrial revolution of America, coal oven. Um, so the root of it started in Naples, even with those places. Yeah, that, that makes sense. I, I wanted to do a quick uh, sidebar. You just described kind of this um, this ethos, this uh, informing spirit, this this approach to life, this do-it-yourself, uh, you know, screw you, I'm going to take this on in a hands-on kind of authenticity, all of which squares very much with um, how I here in Washington, D.C. fell into the punk rock scene and, and um, you know, became a huge devotee of the bands here out of D.C. And before we started recording, I know that you have some punk rock in your background also. Can we com- quickly compare notes? What, what bands were you into as you were coming up um, as a teenager in your early 20s? Uh, you had some some unbelievable um, bands in the New New Jersey New York area, right? Right. Um, yeah. I mean, well, I started actually going to shows when I was like thirteen uh, at yeah. CBGBs. Yeah. Um, so by the time I was twenty, I actually kind of had become more. I still listen to punk and hardcore, and I still do today. Um, but I definitely my musical band started to go really into jazz and stuff like that into my 20s and yeah. into free jazz, like, you know, that kind of stuff. But my founding uh, music stuff after very, very young, like from elementary school, like super into like heavy metal okay. and those kind of bands like Iron Maiden and Black Sabbath and all that. Yeah. That's, that's the natural into, progression. Uh, punk rock. Yeah, yeah, so many of us, you know, and it's funny right. because so many of us would then like leave one and be like, that's that's not that's not hard enough for me or good enough or it doesn't represent <laughs> me. But then now that I'm older, it's like, I, I see all of them and I love all of them. So like I could listen to like, you know, Judas Priest or Iron Maiden as much as I could listen to like Agnostic Front or, you know, an old Warzone record. Um, right, right, right. And, you know, a lot, I think a lot of us that got into that kind of music already were, I mean, the, at least the kids that it stuck with and even into adulthood, I think they already were, the kind of people that had that do-it-yourself kind of just independent resilience. And then when you found that music, you're like, oh my God, like I, I am independent and I don't really need to have a community of people. But this is awesome that I found a music that kind of is saying the things that I believe on my own. So it just like gave you even more of a feeling of not being alone and having something that spoke of what you were feeling inside or kind of represented some of your thoughts. Yeah, and, and I, I will. I hope you don't mind me saying. Uh, I have two two thoughts I want to share. In a, in a way, you're a little bit of an old soul, um, in the sense that you, because like again, the, man. I believe me. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> but that, but that natural progression from from hardcore to to jazz that happens. That I mean that happens to all of us, right? I mean that that it just Isn't took it me. 
another 15 to 20 years. But the other thing that I love uh, about about what you're saying is, you know, this generation of of, you know, I know you're you're kind of you're in your mid 40s. I'm uh, bumping up against another number right now, but also still in my 40s. But like our generation, those there's so many of those folks from that punk rock community are in the food world now. I mean, both like, you know, famous and not famous, but, you know, it really became a, a passion. There's a natural allegiance, a natural alliance between that do-it-yourself ethic and, you know, getting into the food world and, and, and innovating there. Um, do, you, do you find that yeah. your own self? Yeah, yeah, I definitely think so. I mean, you know, I think that's tricky. I feel like a lot of the younger people that are becoming famous um, or the ones that are more into that. But I would say either way, like the cooking world as a whole, I would say generally has always attracted people that were kind of like the same mentality, like a do-it-yourself or kind of independent. Or honestly, they were usually people who weren't like really that highly educated. You know, I mean, for example, like when I was thinking about trying to cook and I got out of high school, I didn't go to college and I barely, honestly, barely got out of high school. I used to skip school like three days a week and come yeah. up and hang out in Tompkins Square Park. And basically I was like, I just want to live on the streets. And of course that wasn't really a real plan, but at that point it seemed like it was a good idea. Um, and so, you know, when I, when I got out of high school and I was trying to figure out what to do with my life and I, and I had already become obsessed with food in my own way. And I always cared about it, but I was also super into music. Um, you know, I, 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 my mom was like, you know, let's, I'm going to take you to like a cooking school like thing and see if you want to go. And she thought maybe that that would be good. But again, my mom was never someone to push things on me. She always just kind of stood by me and supported all my wackiness. And in some ways that I think helped me not go too far in the wrong direction. Right. Um, but anyway, for example, all that saying she, so she took me to uh, Johnson and Wales in Rhode Island for like a, a you know, like a orientation you know, an open, an open house to see like, and I remember going to this thing and I was probably like 18 and, um, you know, everybody in there were like dirtbags basically and like high school, barely high school educated, like just, and in the orientation, and I still remember this to this day. And I always bring this up like that. They were like, you know, the, the cooking world has like the highest suicide rate, the highest alcoholism rate, all these things like that they were saying about like that profession. And, and, yeah, I think it just has always kind of attracted like very creative people who are also potentially dropouts or people right. who are on the fringes or people who are kind of like, I don't want a real job. I don't want to work in an office. I don't know what to do with myself. I want to be kind of independent. Maybe one day I can own my own business, but I don't know how to. So that just led a lot of people into cooking, I think, because what other stuff was there really? You know, other like it was either construction or cooking. If you yeah, want to right. be educated, you know, which I should have done construction, <laughs> I'd probably be retired. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, no, no disrespect at all intended. I mean, the the work that you're doing with your hands and the creativity required by this pizza and the daily kind of challenges you encounter in making this pizza that has a lot of uh, corollaries to to what's what you would encounter in construction. I think, but what do I know? 
Yo, hungry homies, we're taking a quick break from this awesome chat with Anthony Mangieri to tell you about Yahoo Fantasy. It is upon us. The NFL season is right here. You can be your GM and be a winning GM. You turn this season into a fistful of epic wins by joining a Yahoo Fantasy Football League. Yahoo has spent the entire off season, my taste buds, making serious upgrades to enhance your fantasy football experience. Upgrades like easier scoring, new trophies, and a buttery smooth app experience. That resonates with us here at House of Carbs. We're into anything that's buttery smooth. So when you come to play fantasy football on Yahoo, the wins are as epic as the season is long. To get in on the wins, you have to get in on the season. And it's right now is the time. Yahoo Fantasy is the only app where you can manage all of your season-long and daily fantasy teams in just one place. Create or join a league right now. Get on it. Yahoo.com slash Carbs Fantasy Football. That's Yahoo.com slash Carbs Fantasy Football. I'm interested in, in what led you to the West Coast. Because it's, I, I mean, I, there are a lot of reasons why folks move from New York City out out west. Uh, but but you were experiencing some great success, your own self, uh, uh, with the East Village version of Una Pizza Napolitana. And what what made you go out west? Um. Yeah. So, um, real quickly, I'll make that quick. Um, I went out west mainly. The easiest way to say it was, uh, I always wanted to live out there. Uh, when I was young, it just seemed like, you know, I grew up also at an era where like, you know, I don't know uh, for you, but like, you know, we all watch TV and like sitcoms and like, you know, everything was centered in California when you were a kid, all the TV shows, all the action shows, you know, like everything, it was like kind of California based. And it was such a, another influence visually. And just like this idea of California. And I never, I never went to California throughout all my youth. It seemed like, you know, my dad spoke of it when he was in the military that he was in like San Diego and they had these trucks there that you could get like pizza from a truck and burritos from a truck. And it seemed like, like we were just like, wow, that sounds amazing. <laughs> it just seems so crazy. I and, mean, you know, and now everything seems so not crazy, but I mean, this is like in the seventies, Yeah. you know, so, but it seemed like a world away. So I never went there, uh, at a, as a young, as a young man. And, um, so I always kind of had that as something. And then also, uh, in my youth, I was really, really into, uh, mountain, uh, excuse me, into BMXing and skateboarding. Yeah. And I used to BMX race and I was on a team and stuff and I BMX raced every Sunday. And then when mountain biking kind of came out, I, I gravitated towards that when I got a little bit older and then that, and I kind of stopped skateboarding and then I would start again and stop. It was like on and off. And I, you know, and as I got older, it would be much, much greater breaks in between trying to skate and mountain biking just really became a real, real, real big part of my life to the fact that by the time I opened the place in New York City, I mean, all of my free time was being spent mountain biking in New Jersey and upstate New York, trying to drive to Vermont, New Hampshire. And then as I started to make money in New York City, I was buying custom mountain bikes and I was flying to California to Utah, to Colorado. I mean, literally, if I wasn't in the pizzeria when I was in New York City, I was mountain biking and just amassing an insane collection of mountain bikes and then later on road bikes. And that's pretty much what I 
what I started to put a lot of my energy into outside of pizza. So that being said, I started going out there and I just was like, wow, what an amazing state. It's like, there's these major metropolitan areas that like in a few minutes you could be out of it and like ride these epic trails and, you know, and I just started to think, and I'm like, nobody's doing this out here. I should, I should do this. And so it started to become more and more of a thought <clears throat> and <clears throat> excuse me. And so, yeah, I kind of had it in my head all along in New York city that I wasn't going to stay at that location. I kind of knew like I wanted to just show the world what the pizza was and then try to find a way out of it. So once I felt like I reached as far as I could, it, I was like, I got to get out of it. And I was getting burnt. I was, I was working a lot. I was, it was very successful. I wasn't, I was very young. I had already had many years making pizza before in New Jersey. So it wasn't like I just started out. I had already been, you know, making pizza for like eight or nine years before I opened in New York city. Plus I had the bakery before that for a couple of years. So I had already been a business owner and working quite a while, but the success aspect of it and just managing it and dealing with it and being pulled in so many directions, it just started to wear on me. And I, I felt like I needed to get out of the city and go live like just an outdoor kind of a lifestyle before I was too old. And that was the real reason. So you, but you did uh, a very unusual thing, which is you, you, you came back. Now, a lot of folks, most folks that I know who head out West, uh, Stay, stay there. They fall in love with uh, the, the aspects of it that you just described that were attractive to you. They get used to the weather and then they, you know, they come back to the East Coast to visit, but they, 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 they keep their life and their lifestyle out on the West Coast. What brought you back to the East Coast? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it's funny. You know, I love California and I will always uh, really love it. But um, I have found this uh, with quite a few people from like New Jersey, New York, though, that move out there. Um, when you move out there, you know, it's a lot different than going out there on a vacation or for a week or two, or just going out there and camping and mountain biking every day and eating burritos and drinking right. coffee. So, you know, I just, you know, my wife, um, I, I, in between when I closed the place in, in New York city and moving to California, um, I had, uh, asked, a girl to marry me that I had uh, asked to marry me like 10 years before that. And she <laughs> said, yes, it's time. And nice. so she came to New Jersey. Yeah. Yeah. I had a, it was a long way, but she finally said yes. And then, <laughs> so she came to New Jersey uh, with the idea that we were going to move to California. I told her, you know, when I asked her, I went to Italy, you know, we kindled all this stuff and that's a whole nother story. And then, um, so we had a, uh, plan to move there. So we went out there on like two trips to like investigate. And I found this, uh, fellow that like had a building approach me and was like, Oh, you know, if you want to take this space, I'm a huge fan of yours. I'll, I'll help you build it out and all this stuff. And, and I couldn't really decide. I was like, I'm going to do it. I'm not going to do it. And we went out there on one trip and we like, kind of were like, eh, maybe we should just stay in New Jersey came back and then we couldn't really figure out what to do. And I felt like I wasn't really ready to also just stay in New Jersey. I didn't really know what to do with myself. So, you know, and I knew I had to keep working. I didn't have, you know, enough money or anything to be like, I'm done with, you know, working. So I knew that right. like I had to get back to work pretty quickly. Um, so we went back out there just kind of with the idea that we were going to do it. And we found a place to live. I, you know, did the lease on space to open, and, and then we, 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 we moved out there full time. And, but unfortunately kind of from the minute we moved out there, we sort of 
just always felt like, you know what, this isn't our place. It just did never clicked as our home. Loved wow. it. Met a lot of amazing people. And the funny thing is I've met a bunch of people over the years, same exact thing. Like, I feel like when you move out there from here, when you move there, you get there and you're either like, this is my place. I'm never leaving. Or you move there and you're like, eh. And then you spend like years being like, eh, eh, eh. <laughs> but then the weather's nice. There's, there's right. no seasons. Years yeah. pass. You're like, you know, sh- like five years passes and like five minutes out there because there's no like real bearing on anything. You're like, is it Christmas? Is it Easter? I don't know what time of the year it is. People call you. They're like, oh, I'm on summer vacation. I'm like, what are you doing that for? They're like, yeah, it's I, summer. I'm like, oh, yeah, I, I forgot. This so, is why I, I have know, a hard just, time thinking about moving out there. I love the seasons. I like the East Coast. I do. You know, that's the thing. It's like when you're, you know what I think it is? I think if you want to move that far away from where you're from, and make it your home for life, at least for me, and also because I'm someone very sentimental. Yes. You have to do it when you're young. I did it yep. when I was almost 40. You know, you can't move to California when you're almost 40 and you spent your 40 years of your life in New Jersey and New York City. Right, so right. I yeah. am so of this place for good and for bad that, like, there's just no separating this from me, even if sometimes I hate all this. I love it. It's who I am a hundred percent. So being out there, I always felt like just, I never connected, you know, I, I did make some great friends, but it never felt like my home, you know? So, and same for my wife, my wife is from Italy and for her, it just felt like it was beautiful and stuff like that. But she just felt like, man, she's like, I am so far from where I'm from and where my family is. It's just, and then, you know, we had a daughter while we were out there and then now she started school. And so it just kind of got to the point where we were like, if we're going to move back here, we should do it before she gets really rooted here. And then we disturb her life. I don't want to do that to her. I want her to have a stable childhood like I did, like my wife did. Yeah. So I'm interested. I want to talk about um, the New York, the, the, the currently opened iteration, but I have one last question that that I'm just curious about your experience in terms of delivering uh, your pizza to to the to folks in San Francisco. Like, how did you find the palates of those folks there? Did, did were they early adopters? Did they take persuasion? Like, how did you um, you know find success in in San Francisco? Yeah, um, definitely. Uh, when I first went out there years ago, they, they did not have anything going on pizza wise, um, which was why I originally was like, oh my God, this is like, a, there's a gold mine waiting here. Not thinking that they wouldn't understand it, but just that there wasn't really anybody doing anything like that. Um, in the time that I opened, like very, very quickly after I opened, many, many places open. And now the market there is completely flooded, as is pretty much every town and city in the United States with with a Neapolitan style pizza. So, you know, I don't think anywhere in the U S now you can really go and people aren't going to have a palate or an awareness of this kind of pizza. Like one of my friends in New Jersey, he's like, you know, he's always jokes with me. He's like, uh, he's, I don't want to curse, but he's like, you know, whatever. He's like, you screwed it all up for us. He's like, you can't even get a friggin' regular slice of pizza anymore in New Jersey where we live. Everybody's trying to make Neapolitan pizza now. Um, (laughs) You know, so. Did the folks in San Francisco, did they, did they like your pizza when you opened up uh, the shop? Oh yeah. Yeah. We, you know, um, 
I had started to get such a huge following that like when I, the interim of that time between closing in New York and opening in SF, there was so much written about the place and so many things came out. So much stuff that like it blew up into this thing that like, man, when we opened out there, I mean, literally there would be people waiting online at like two o'clock in the afternoon and we would open at five. So definitely like there were, there was a huge, huge support for when we opened out there. Um, and then obviously it, you know, it slowed down and people got a grip, but, um, in the beginning (laughs) it was insanely busy and then on and off. Yeah. We were always, yeah. I mean, I, I have nothing bad to say about that city as an overall, I mean, they were supportive. There's a lot of great people there, you know, I mean, it's, uh, yeah. I mean, it's just, you know, yeah, we did good there. So, uh, the, the the new shop, this is the first time that Una Pizza Napolitana has offered anything other than pizza and, and drinks. How'd you find these partners of yours and, and uh, expand the, the, the uh, footprint of the whole thing? Yeah. Um, I mean, when I decided to do this, um, I already in my mind decided that we were going to do something different. And that was sort of the point of it. Um, and that's not to say what I did in the past, I didn't love and I still don't love and, you know, didn't, doesn't and didn't have a, a huge value for me. And, but this thing that we're doing right now to me makes all the sense right now. And it's still, you know, to me, it's still basically the exact same thing that we always did. It's still the same pizzas. It's exactly the same on that side as it's always been, except hopefully better because, you know, I just keep making more pizza. I mean, I think we were joking last night, like since we've opened in New York, I think I've personally made like over 9,000 pizzas in three months. So, you know, I mean, hopefully that, that kind of like practice, you just keep getting better. Um, but then the small plates and everything else, like as far as the wines go, like we were always a natural wine with our pizza, we were pretty much like the first people to really do natural wine in California. And some of the wines that we have at UNA in New York city, we were the first ones even using the U S. So it's just a continuation on that side, but with more of it and better selected and more thought behind it. Um, and then as far as small plates and desserts, I mean, both my partners are friends of mine and, you know, and I really believe in what they do as people and the way that they cook. So it was a pretty easy, decision to team with them and we all kind of think the same we're all very different people but together i feel like we all you know one thing that we all have in common when we're when we're there and just as as cooks is quality and just like our decision making on like trying to make something as good as we can i mean these guys are such workaholics and they put so much into what they do as do i that i just really believe in it and believe in them so I'm proud yeah. of it. I, it seems like it's the next step, you know? And I mean, who knows where it will lead? I mean, we only have like five small plates and they're all very simple, very, very curated, very thought out, just to me, beautifully executed. And also to me, like, I was like, look, if I'm going to add something to the menu, I'm not going to just add like a crappy wilted arugula salad and, uh, you know, and a, and a factory made tiramisu like every other right. Neapolitan pizzeria, you know, or like a salad with like blood, blood orange slices and walnuts. Like <laughs> I was just like, there needs to be a reason for this. There needs to be like yeah. where you come in and it's like, here's prosciutto that we're slicing to order perfectly the right thinness made by somebody who's friends of ours. Here's this, right. here's that, here's tiramisu that like is made from scratch every single day 
and it's very delicate and it's very beautiful. It's not just like a sugar bomb with pre-made cake. And I mean, we even make the cake for it. So like, it just all makes sense. It's all just details, simplicity and restraint and hopefully excellence, you know, which is kind of my thing. It sounds like a perfect match at the perfect time. I know uh, I'm going to let you go, but I know you have a trip to Italy uh, coming up this month. Uh, I want to yes. come back. I'm going to have to 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 get a little breakdown from you of of uh, you know your experience, what you learned this time. I know every trip br- introduces some some new ideas, some new innovations. So we'll have to reconnect so I can hear uh, about Let's this do it trip for sure. Yeah, let's yeah. do it. That would be awesome. There's, I'll tell you, there's a lot. A lot of really cool stuff going on over there now that I'm excited about. There was many, many years in the Naples area um, where, like, kind of the food just stopped and it was kind of stagnant and the quality wasn't there. And people kind of were just like, oh, you know, we're Neapolitan, it's the best. But there wasn't really the effort. Now there's like a lot of young kids over there who come from. A lot of them are, gener- you know, multi- you know, many generations of pizza makers or cooks, but they're coming at it with a little bit more of a worldly view, a little bit more open-mindedness, a little bit more of a concern of the quality of the ingredients, based still with all that tradition over there, and they're doing some amazing stuff. So I, I would love to do that. That would be fun. Yeah, I can't wait to hear about it. Anthony Man- Mangiero, you're, you're a hero. Thank you for coming on. <laughs> House of Carbs. We'll, we'll, we'll talk again soon, my friend. Thank you so much. Stay well. You as well. All right, there we go. All my love and thanks to Anthony Mangieri. What a great conversation. I'm very, very hungry for pizza right now. I hope you are as well. But before we get over to some food news with Juliet, quick word from a couple friends of ours here at House of Carbs. Hotel Tonight is here. If you love to score amazing deals at incredible hotels, you're going to love Hotel Tonight. They partner with hotels to help those hotels sell unsold rooms, which means you're getting sweet deals at cool, top-rated hotels. Hotel Tonight shows you the best deals at hotels that you actually want to stay at so you're not scrolling through endless lists of choices. And even though their name is Hotel Tonight, they're not just for last-minute bookings. You can book in advance, which is perfect for planners and procrastinators alike. Hotel Tonight's perfect for spontaneous weekend getaways, staycations, three-day weekends, road trips, business bookings, the whole rigmarole. It's so easy to use, my friends. Book hotels in 10 seconds. It's just three taps and a swipe. And there's an HT Perks program where the more you book, the better the deals get. I, my own self, have hit this app up quite a bit this summer. I've been on the road. The U.S. Open, my friends. Out to, to Monterey Peninsula for a little bit of action and some of my business up in New York. Three taps and a swipe. It's perfect. It's exactly what I need. Get the Hotel Tonight app now to start scoring amazing deals at incredible hotels. That's Hotel Tonight, the only booking app you need. Culinary Comrades, today's show also brought to us by our friends at National Highway Traffic Safety Administration. And we're going to get a little serious because this is serious stuff. Everybody knows the risks of driving drunk. It's dumb. Don't do it. You can get in a crash. People can get hurt or killed. Let's take a look 
for a second at some of these surprising and highly disappointing statistics. Almost 29 people in these United States die every day in alcohol-impaired vehicle crashes. That's a person every 50 minutes. That's too many. Even though drunk driving fatalities have fallen by a third over the last three decades, great job, everybody, drunk driving crashes still claim more than 10,000 lives each year. That's a terrible job. Drunk driving can have a big impact on your wallet. You get arrested. You're incurring humongous legal expenses. You could even lose your job. So what can you do to prevent the drunk driving? It's easy these days. It's the 21st century. It's 2018. Plan a safe ride home before you start drinking and designate a sober driver. Or the ride share uh, apps are all over the place. Put one of those on your phone or call a taxi. Very easy. If somebody you know has been drinking, take their keys and arrange for them to get a sober ride home or, or just put them down on the couch and tell them night night. We all know the consequences of driving drunk, but one thing's for sure, you're wrong if you think it's no big deal. Drive sober or get pulled over. All right, Taste Buds, it is now time for Food News. Yo, Juliet. Hey, 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 hey. Happy Pizza Day. Happy Pizza Day. Really, every day is Happy Pizza Day. There's never a day that I'm not up for pizza. Mm. Um, but, you know, God bless the ringer. Perfect <laughs> content at this time of year, right? It's August. Yeah. Last week, everybody's revving up for back to school, back to work. Vacations are over. Uh, why not have something delicious to think about as we enter that that phase, that slightly more serious phase? Sure. Yeah, you need need some kind of pick me up. Exactly. Exactly. And maybe this this the pizza day by way of the ringer will inspire some you know planning among all the hungry homies for how they're going to consume. Their football season, their basketball season. I mean, all the sports are coming in. Pizza goes great with the Ryder Cup, I can assure you. So we're doing the public service as usual, Juliet. And indeed, we're just trying to get everyone in the right state of mind. It's a real going back to school event, pizza. You know, it's like if you're a parent, yes. I'm like, you're like, oh, back to school, busy. Like, let's get pizza for the kids. I assume not a parent. If you are a kid, have pizza after school. If you're in college, have pizza in the middle of the night. There's a pizza, a pizza event for everyone. That's a fact. We, we do the most cliche thing ever, which is Friday night pizza. I mean, that's yeah. only, you know, 10 billion families in America do that. But we, we do it, too, because it's 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 a nice way to end the week. It's a nice capper. Nobody wants to lift a finger Friday evening. Yeah. To do with dinner. Yeah. I mean, I can't even imagine. It must be like I can't even imagine being a working parent. It seems so hard. <laughs> <laughs> Soon enough. Soon enough. <laughs> All right. Before we get into the news, I'm going to put you on the spot since we're talking pizza. You are a transplanted New Yorker, so we don't have to talk about your favorite pizza in New York. We already we can do that rundown. That has its own special place. But as a transplant, what have you found in terms of your favorite, your go-to, and maybe these are two different things. Maybe you have a go-to pizza joint and a favorite pizza joint in L.A., but what's your favorite pizza in L.A.? My favorite pizza 
is called Garage Pizza. It's across the street from where I live. Like when I open up my Postmates app, it's like 150 yards away, Garage Pizza. Um, It's really close and it's open till 3 a.m. And it's hard to find late night good pizza in L.A. And it's really good. It slices. They have a good white pizza. It's like it's really straightforward. It's like it's pretty close to New York style. And it's really delicious. It's cheap. And it's literally across the street. Like, I don't even need to, like, redirect the Uber to take me there on the way home. I'm just like, oh, I'll just jump out right here. I run outside my door and also get pizza right away. Additionally, it's in the same little strip mall as where I get my nails done, where I buy liquor and, like, a a knickknack shop. So it's got and also another bar that I really like. How could I forget? Jay's Bar is also there. So it's a great one-two punch. You go to Jay's for drinks and then you stop for a slice of pizza on your way home. It's just the best. I love garage pizza. Yeah, like. It, it is it is built into your lifestyle, yeah. Like virtually every walk of life, yes. On your way home from work, on your way to get your nails done, on yeah. your way out of the bar. I mean, on your way to go pick up a knickknack. I know. There it is. It's great. It's also so it, it's like a, my my co- my coffee shops right across the street. It's like everything you need is like under three hundred yards away, and it's fantastic. I love Garage Pizza. I like to like bring people there. I'm like, yeah, let's just get a piece piece of pizza. Like, why not? And it's delicious. Also, our friend David Jacoby, a big friend, a big fan of Garage Pizza as well. It's great stuff. Now, when Jacoby orders uh, the Garage Pizza, does he use the Jacoby technique? Does he order it uh, well done? He does order well done. Jacoby also likes to call head at Garage Pizza, even if like we're at Jay's bar. We'll be sitting in the bar having a drink and like he'll know he'll want to leave in 10 minutes. So he calls so they put their slice in. So it's ready right when he walks in. He's an inspiration. Yeah, I mean, he really is a a forward thinker when it comes to the to the food world and the inspiration for this food news. I mean, really, he's the uh, the food news OG. It's true. So it, that is true. Pour a little out for the for the Jacobs as always. As always, always thinking of Jacoby. Great guy. There we go. So, <laughs> speaking of great guys, what about some food news? Food news, starting with a not great guy. This is coming. Right. To, this exactly. is. <laughs> This first story comes to us from Food Beast, and the headline is Papa John's founder and ex-chairman just started a, quote, Save Papa John campaign. Papa John's founder, John Schnatter, has had not a great year after the events of his departure from the pizza empire he built. Schnatter has begun a campaign to restore his reputation and voice his side of the story in the form of SavePapaJohns.com. In early July, Schnatter resigned as chairman of the pizza company after reportedly using the N-word during a conference call back in May. At the time, he was speaking with the marketing firm Laundry Service about the prevention of future public relation incidents after the events of 2017's NFL statement where he blamed the league as the reason behind declining pizza sales. This is all during a, this is according to Forbes, and this is so weird, but it was during a role-playing exercise. Um, but ultimately, he left the company, and now he has this website, SavePapaJohns.com, which I would click on, but I don't want to. I don't even know what this website looks like because I don't even want to give him a click. Yeah. So what what's wrong with this guy? First of <laughs> Great all, question. What 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 does Save Papa Johns mean? You can still go buy Papa Johns if if Papa Johns is your your flavor. It doesn't need saving. It's still available. Yeah. Last time I checked, they if, haven't shut down the franchise. If you like to dip into the garlic. Uh, the garlic sauce you still can still available to you right so what what is he saving i have no idea i i truly have no his, idea his involvement it seems like yeah. like he wants to be involved he, he wants to still be in the commercials um dear john schnatter please go away we're done with you 
Yeah, we're done. Don't need to hear any more stories about you. you. Your instincts are not good. You don't sound like, I don't know whether or not you're a good person or not, but in terms of uh, your your management of the Papa John, seems like it's a good time to, to break up, buddy. See, just, just, just see you later. Take the, take the L. Take the L, John. We're out. Of, we're done with you. I've been done with him for a long time. I will say, I like Papa John's pizza. I'm going to be honest. It's fine. I don't have any complaint if it shows up. I don't go out of my way to order it. Um, I have a number of fantastic options here in the DMV. Um, but if I'm at a place and the, the, what shows up at that place that, you know, the social gathering is Papa John's, I definitely eat it. Yeah. He, he, uh, the, 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 it's not even the, the top delivery pizza. I mean, that's obviously Domino's, you know, but it's, it's good. Right. It's good. I like it. But Domino's is so much better, just to be clear. I agree with this. I agree. Uh, okay. Next story for you. This is about Cheetos and it's from today.com. A cheesy challenge. Cheetos threatens rival snack brand Pedos with legal action. If you're going to tease a tiger, make sure you have a very big stick. That's a good joke today.com slash a shout out to Randy Don. If you're a relatively new cheesy snack brand calling yourself Pedos, you better be ready to battle the big guys, namely Cheetos. PepsiCo, the parent of Frito-Lay's Cheetos, has sent the upstart company Snack It Forward's World Peas brand a cease and desist letter after its new Pedos treats began hitting the shelves. The Wall Street Journal reported that PepsiCo says Pedos is confusingly similar and dilutes the Cheetos brand. Uh, Snack It Forward was not giving up, they said. According to today, the story, it says... Um, Bring It On uh, not only features a tiger made of Cheetos on its cover packaging, and Cheetos is known for its famous cheetah mascot, but also features an entire website section that compares the two snacks. <laughs> on the page, it said, we're the tigers filled to the brim with all the nutrients needed to keep moving you forward for longer. Our proprietary blend consists two t- of two times the protein, three times the fiber, and less fat than anything that corny Cheeto ha- that corny cheetah has to offer. This is a this is like a big rivalry. I I was like very anti this pedos, but now I'm kind of in. I like their uh, audacity. Yeah, they they just jump went all in on the comparison stuff and the uh you know they're 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 using <laughs> Cheetos to elevate their own station. I don't. I'm not uh, an expert in the trademark and copyright laws, um, but I think. The idea of, you know, kind of leveraging your brand and creating an identity for it off of another brand starts to put you into some murky waters. Again, I'm not this is not my legal area of expertise. I will say um, it seems different enough, like they're made with peas. So right there, and it it seems different enough to not be confusing to people. Yeah. I, and I'm I, I'm now intrigued enough to want to go try these things. So I don't know if that's good for Cheetos or bad for Cheetos. I love Cheetos. <laughs> uh, I love Cheetos, too. I'm kind of intrigued. I like the kind of healthier junk food snacks. But ultimately, if you're moving away from your junk food snack, like you should just move towards vegetables or like non-processed food. I, it's, I don't think the benefits are so much greater that it's like really justifies not having the original junk food. Well, let me ask this, though. That's an interesting uh, observation. The The whole purpose of, of drunk food is, to me, either something super salty or something super sweet. So for my, my palate, my drunk palate craves, you know, um, grease and salt and, you know, uh, gooiness and, all, you know, that those kinds of, of qualities. 
Uh, and if I'm going to have a snack, it's got to be a super salty snack. There ain't, there aren't any vegetables that, that, that fit that bill. Like the, the lowest, you know, I'm willing to go in terms of the health quotient of my drunk food is probably like popcorn. Mm, okay. Well, as you and know, I might salt the popcorn. As you know, I'm all about a dip. So like usually yeah. I, I like, you know, I'll go to, I'll go to like a hummus or like a kind of like an almond based hummus or some other kind of like yogurt dip or something that does have like some nutritional value, but is like still pretty junky or I'm not even going to say it does. Like actually that's besides the point. Like hummus, once you get into like the kind of processed food world, it's really murky. Like it's, it's actually hard to be truly healthy if you're not like eating natural foods, and like making your own stuff. And so once you were just like, yeah, I'm going for like this mass marketed hummus, whatever, why not shovel it into your mouth with a sugar snap pea instead of a pita chip? You know, I can live with that. Okay, that's fine. I'm 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 totally good with it. It just requires a a foresight, a planning that that I'm not capable of. Uh, like the you know we'll have the vegetables in the fridge, but I I'm I'm not going into the vegetable bin when I'm drunk. I'm going if I go for the hummus, I'm going to grab the hummus out, and then right above the hummus on my fridge sits. Uh, 700 bags of different types of chips and I'll grab a uh, type of tortilla chip or some other, you know, whatever. Even if there's, if we have a healthy ish kind of chip for my kid, maybe I would go in that direction. Like uh, Terra chips. Have you had the Terra chips? Oh, of course. Yeah. I I like the Terra chips. They can, they can be salty enough. Yeah. I like them too. I like the uh, beet ones in particular. Those yeah, I'm really good, good with the beet ones. Yeah, those I, are it was delicious. a funny thing in my life. I I didn't I never liked beets as a young person. My palate changed as I got older. I don't like them 30s, either. I discovered beets. I like had a re a discovery. Uh, and and my relationship with beets, I have a ten year ongoing uh, love affair with the beet. Oh, that's great. I'm happy for you. They're like a, they're a trendy vegetable <laughs> right now. So you're on trend. <laughs> oh, I thought they were off trend already. Oh, I think they're still I in. I thought that trend came and went. I think a they're beet and burrata salad still kills. Okay. Well, I <laughs> that's a delicious salad as far as I'm concerned. Um, One final story for you, which really hits close to home for me um, because it's about one of my passions and also related to the Pepsi company, which we just discussed. Per Bloomberg, PepsiCo agreed to buy fizzy drink dispenser SodaStream International for $3.2 billion, sending the company synonymous with sugary sodas into the home of more health-conscious consumers. PepsiCo will pay $144 a share in cash for the Israeli company, the company said in a statement last week. That's 11% higher than Friday's closing price and would be the purchase New York-based company's largest acquisition in eight years. In one of her final acts as chief executive of PepsiCo, Indra Nui is betting on razors and blades kind of business model to reanimate revenue growth that has been waning due to weak demand for traditional soft drinks, soda stream sales machines used with compatible carbon dioxide capsules and optional flavored syrups, and its success in locking in customers allowed it to recently raise its full-year outlook. PepsiCo said the move is also intended to boost sustainability because customers Consumers fill reusable bottles. House. Right. I don't have a ton of stuff in my office. However, one yes. thing I do have is a soda stream. And boy, do I love it. And as I think I've discussed before, fizzy water, seltzer, sparkling waters, club soda, they are all vital to my existence. They're part of my everyday. I am not brand loyal. I like all of them. I'll try all of them. I actually don't like them flavored. Like grapefruit, I'll go for. But I love soda stream because I just want bubbles in my water. And this is huge news for me. I also used to be a Diet Pepsi drinker. So it's like all in the same family. Wow. So I I have to confess, 
I enjoy soda, and I enjoy it particularly in connection with specific foods. Like the Hungry Homies are going to hear today, a nice ad I'll plug I'm going to do for Diet Coke that, that goes along beautifully with a, with a uh, fried chicken sandwich that I'm happy and I happen to enjoy. <laughs> but I don't uh, seek out my, 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 uh, my liquid palate, my uh, hydration. Um, I like carbonated when I'm in, a, in an exotic mood. I guess is the way I'll say it, but it's not a, a sustaining foundational kind of drink for me. Um, do you use the soda stream to just, you put water in it and then carbonate it yeah, and then drink that's it? Yeah, it. Straight from the, and then I drink it from the refillable bottle. I love it. I love my soda stream. It's like one of the best things I purchased for myself. And do you do a squeeze of citrus, no. squeeze a lemon, squeeze a no. lime? No, no, that. no None ice that. even. Just straight up water with bubbles. <laughs> and is it like, uh... It's like it, any any of the Perrier or uh, any of those kinds of. It's more like um, club soda. The bu- the bubbles are okay. like harsher and bigger, so it's more like club soda than it's like a sparkling water. Oh, so you're saying you'd like a pop when you're when it's yeah pop, not in the sense of pop soda, but pop like it popping in your mouth kind of. Vibe. Yeah, and I was I used, I was a huge huge soda drinker like for a lot of my life, like until I was like 27, I drank soda every single day, and so that, and then okay. I and then I just went cold turkey on two things one day. I gave up sugar in my coffee and I gave up soda and and I turned Boom. yeah and they've just both been gone for five years. The soda habit died a lot harder, and that's why I'm so obsessed with sparkling water and all all carbonated waters. I just love. <laughs> I like it. Well, it's clear that um, you are not alone because SodaStream just was acquired for $3.2 billion. I know. I know. I, One I, thing I have questions about, I don't think any carbonated water is like nearly as effective in hydration as just like regular water, but I don't know the science behind that. I'm going to research it. That would be good. Let's let's talk about the science behind it because I'm very curious about it. It's not, uh, I haven't bumped into SodaStream in my walk of life. It's not ever been part of my... You know, I don't I don't have friends that have them. I don't think maybe they have them uh, and I just don't know it. And and I'm kind of intrigued. I'd like to do like some of this experimentation with syrups and stuff. And it might be a way now. I, I of course, have violated all the parent rules. I let my kid have Coke like two years ago uh-huh. um, and he just turned eight. So he was <laughs> as a five year old uh, having now it was you'd only have a couple sips. But I understand I just have a nostalgia for it, and I let him have McDonald's. So if he's having McDonald's, he's going to have a Coke with McDonald's because I don't know why. I don't have a good explanation for it other than it was part of my tradition. It's it's a tradition that I, I'll never apologize for, and I wanted to share it with him. I, I, I'm i with you. I still like a good Coke Zero once in a while. Very sparingly, but though. Maybe there's a way with the soda stream to to you know steer him into... Because he's he's pretty um, by orientation, he understands he can he can differentiate in a way that's like eons ahead of where I was when I was his age. Um, healthy food versus non healthy food. The entire culture now for for the youth has them you know heavily uh, inundated with healthy options for everything. So maybe we get a soda stream in the house. I, I really recommend it. It's also, I used to think, I was like, God, oh, this is so expensive. The cheapest one's like 75. I've used it so much. Like it's definitely, definitely worth it. Do you have to put filtered water in? You can. I just use like the water cooler we have at work, fill up the bottle. Oh yeah, okay. All you right. can use any that, water that you want. That sounds good. Yeah. One it thing can also- be fun, like a... F- a fun thing, right? Yeah, totally. I'm also like, you could probably like carbonate like other, like it's it's like for carbonated water, but like you could probably carbonate like juice. Like what if you like wanted to make like a carbonated orange juice? Oh, interesting. I got to experiment sounds, a little. <laughs> I was going to say it sounds disgusting, but that, I mean, what is a mimosa? It's exactly. That's what I was thinking of. Up the, 
That's what yeah. I was thinking of. I don't know. That's something, mm-hmm. something I'll dabble with. I'll report back. I just, th- I'm worried. I might have to think about this with the kid. If I, I, I'll have to make some rules about it because he'll take, you know, tomato sauce and pour it in there. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. He's, he's one of those kids. Well, good luck with All that. All right, house. Juliet. Thanks. Great I to talk to you as always. We've done it. As always, talk to you again soon. Bye. Boom, there we go, my hungry homies. Another fantastic house of carbs in the books. Let me make a serious plea to all of you. Pizza Week is upon us. It's the ringer.com hitting up all aspects of the pizza world. Do us a favor and take us a picture of your favorite pizza pie. Send it to us at the House of Carbs. We're going to be running pizza all week long on our Instagram at the House of Carbs. Send us your favorite. I love regional pizza. I love the square dish up in in Detroit. I love the deep dish in Chicago, even though some people claim that's not uh, uh, pizza. I love what they're doing in St. Louis. Bradley Beal, my own Washington Wizards homie, he swears by St. Louis pizza. Send me a picture of it. Do us that solid, and I promise we'll get those up at the House of Carbs, and everybody will be able to enjoy. We have another show, of course, next week, my friends. But until then, let's stay hungry out there. <laughs>